0: Hi everybody, my name is Nancy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi I'm Nancy. When in Columbus, do as the Colombians do. Um, through God's grace, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and strong sponsorship, I've been sober since May 23, 1971. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to the winter gathering, and it is nice to get out of Minnesota for the winter up there and come here for like spring-like weather. We have been living in Minnesota for ten years now, and we moved there from California, where I lived, where I was born, and lived my entire life. And then we moved to Minnesota, and uh, so everybody in California was asking me about it and Did I mind the cold weather and all that? And um, I said, um, No. The good thing is, like my nipples are erect almost all the time. <laughs> mean to do I don't really mean to say that but um, somebody always reminds me of it like right before I'm going to talk so Um, I am glad to be here it's um, Liz and Jerry moved here how long ago a couple years two years years ago and um, and it's great to see them and their son Max and um, Ed my husband came with me because he does sponsor Jerry when he started sponsoring Jerry he told Jerry to call him at 12 o'clock every night and that was because Ed was already in bed and he didn't <laughs> want to talk to him and so I had to talk to him every night and I had never met him I didn't meet him for a long time I just heard this voice on the other end of the phone at 12 o'clock every night and he would go Mrs. Morris Mrs. Morris is Mr. Morris there <laughs> he's in bed Jerry so uh, and then when I met him Jerry I never thought he would have a wife and a son. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Robin came with us. I sponsor Robin. She and Jerry got sober together. They hung out together. They went to meetings. They didn't have sponsors, and they just went to meetings together. And um, Ed was speaking at a meeting one night, and he met them. I wasn't with Ed and um, Jerry asked him to be his sponsor that night and Robin was kind of mad at Jerry because then you know she would lose her friend and and but Ed um, gave Robin my phone number and he said I don't know who she is I think she's his girlfriend I'm not sure I think they're street people (laughs) and uh, so thus began this great relationship that we have and um, Keith and Sally who are also speakers they were in my group when I got sober in California, and, um, and a lot of you, I'm sure you've met Keith and Sally, all of you, and they're just warm and friendly and hugging, and um, they, I worked for a dentist before I got sober. You don't mind if I tell about Dr. Clark, do you? Yes, you do? And um, I, they, I mean, I wasn't in AA yet, and um, I guess they were just beginning to be or something, but they didn't pay their dental bill. And I—I um, I, we found all this out later, you know, after I got sober, and um, and I had to call them up all the time and ask them about payment on their dental bill. And I had a list like this long. Um, Mrs. Carpenter said the check is in the mail (laughs) about 20 times you know so but you know we all come here with uh, you know that kind of situation in our life and um, and also my sponsor is here and um, he's been my sponsor for like 23 years now and um, in fact when I was kind of new in the Pacific group in California Weren't you the, one of the first people that got me started in those disguises going to the airport? to? And uh, Clancy used to travel. I mean, he still does. He would travel all the time going out of town speaking. And, and one time, um, Keith and another guy suggested that I get dressed up in a disguise, and they were going to take me to the airport to surprise Clancy. That time, I think it was just as a real old lady with a hunchback and... They put me on a bench and had me wait there and then they walked down the corridor and then I jumped up and I went hobbling toward Clancy and, and, um, and when I got to him, he just karate chopped me and left me laying on the floor. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but then I sort of get uh, you know hooked on these things so I, just, I never know when to stop. You know? So it's like every time he went on a trip, I wanted to get some new elaborate disguise to wear to the airport. One time I went as a nun And, you know, I was new, too, and I, I mean, I used to, like, stay up all night thinking of things to do, and um, so I would, I would work on my nun's outfit to go to the airport, and um, I made a big headdress and glasses and beads and a big black thing I wore, and I got a friend to go to the airport with me, and um, the man that was picking Clancy up that night, Um, saw me coming and he's just like get away from me stay away and I was sitting in the airport smoking I forgot I was a nun that night and um but then when Clancy came in I um you know I waited till he walked for a little ways then I walked up next to him and I had this thing on that stuck out and I just whispered um would you like to get into the habit and um and uh That time he, then I walked ahead and he yelled, um, Sister, sister, you've got my wallet. And uh, (laughs) So I noticed that on your um, third annual winter gathering, it says, why shouldn't we laugh? And um, I love to laugh, you know, and have fun in AA. Um, And most of us don't come in here laughing too much. And when, you know, and well, the first night I came into AA, um, the people where I went to my first meeting were laugh- they were laughing at me and uh, I, uh, I, I went to my first meeting one night um, uh, you know I didn't know I was going to go to AA that day um, I had no idea when I got up that morning that that was the day that I was going to go and I was drinking Bloody Marys all day we had people over and I was making Bloody Marys and drinking them and, um, and at the end of the day um, a, a man left our house. They were all there to watch the Super Bowl. And I walked out the door and got in his car with him just for fun. And I had my husband and my three kids inside the house. And I just, this man drove away, and I just thought we were going around the block or something. And, and um, he took me somewhere else, and we drank for a while, and then I called my husband to come pick me up. And he was very mad at me. And he came and he got me. And he, and he was driving me back home, and, he, and it was the first time ever that he had said to me, you know, you wouldn't do the things you do, you wouldn't act the way you did if you didn't drink so much. Nobody had ever said that to me. I knew I drank too much, and I knew I couldn't quit by that time. And I was really pretty desperate and had no idea what was going to happen. And um, so when he said that to me, though, I walked in the house, and I decided... Right when he said it, I decided to leave him and my three children because I had tried so hard not to drink up to that time. For, for years prior to that, I had tried not to drink. I tried everything I knew, all the promises and the little tricks and everything, not to take a drink. I'd get up in the morning and pray to God, please help me not to take a drink. And then, you know, you can just find one little reason to take a drink, and then it was another and another and another. But I had really given up, and I just could not not drink and so when he said that to me, I decided to leave him and my three children because I knew that I was a terrible wife and a mother by that time, and I thought that they deserved better. So I picked up the telephone, and I was—we had one car—and I was calling up my um, my then brother-in-law, who was a Catholic priest. Um, no, before I did that, I called. I was going to leave him, and so I called my old boyfriend. And. <laughs> He was like this guy that you know in high school, and now it's like how many years later? Like I don't know, ten or twenty years later, and and it's like, hi, it's me, because you know how you just think about people all the time, and you know, and uh, keep those memories going and um, alive in your mind, and um, but I called this guy up, and I was going to ask him to come pick me up and drive me to the next town, because we had one car, I didn't want to take it. And that's what I thought I was going to do that night was just be dropped off in, in the next town and I would live there and leave everybody else alone. So I was talking to him on the phone and my husband came in to me and he said, I don't care where you go, but you can't run away from it. And, you know, it must have just been that moment for me and it, and, and it happened right then and I hung up the phone and then I called my, my brother-in-law who is a Catholic priest. I was living in California and he was living in Pennsylvania <laughs> And I just called him up, and I was going to ask him to pray for me. I didn't know about AA. Um, I didn't really know anybody that was an alcoholic. Um, I, uh, it wasn't in 1971. It wasn't like it is today, where we do know a lot about it and we know what to do about it. And I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know there was any solution for me. So uh, I called this this um, my brother-in-law up and. And it was very coincidental that he was home that night, and uh, he answered the phone, and I was on the other end. And for about 10 minutes, I was just hysterical because I had never told anybody in my life that I couldn't quit drinking. I had never admitted it before. And, um, and so he suggested that I go to an AA meeting. And uh, he had been to see what AA was like so that he would be able to help people. And uh, so it was, I don't know, maybe it was around 8 o'clock by this time, I don't know. And I went upstairs, um, my husband got on the phone and he, you know, talked to him about it and he he was going to take me to an AA meeting, he got someone to watch the kids. I went upstairs and I had been drinking all day. And um, I put on this orange polyester pantsuit that was in my closet that I had probably shoplifted because I did that for no apparent reason. I would just find things in my closet, really, that I just took them for the excitement of taking them and things I never wore and didn't like. But I put on this orange polyester pantsuit, and I'm sure it was very tight on me because I drank a lot of beer and wine and I was very heavy. And um, being locked up in my house with my kids... Um, day in and day out, because it, when I was drinking, you know, um, I didn't want to go out and socialize with anybody because they used to smell it on my breath and make comments, so I would stay inside the house. And I would get bored, so I would dye my hair like every other day. I would make it a new color. And it was longer, and it was if you just touched it, it kind of crackled and fell out in <laughs> big handfuls. And um, the other thing I did in my house, because I was bored... I would rearrange the furniture and we had three levels in the house and I really would like move the couch up and down the stairs I would make the living room the bedroom one day and um, just you know I just like had to find things to amuse myself during the day and um, but I uh, so I got on this orange polyester pantsuit and my hair was like that and my face was very blotchy and red and and I'd been drinking and my husband got me in the car and we, find, we set out to find this AA meeting. And as it turned out, we had to go to two places before we found the meeting and they had moved. And you know, it's kind of in the back of your mind, you know how we all feel. And it's like they knew that I was coming and they gathered up all their books and they went somewhere else. And, and um, I mean, I still have those feelings today that when I walk in a room in a new situation, when I'm scared and my insecurity is really out there, it's like you know, that they're all they all stopped talking right when I came in because they were talking bad about me. And um it's also a little bit of self obsession there I would think too. So um but we uh we finally got to that meeting that night and and um it ended at nine thirty and it was on a Sunday night and it was probably twenty minutes after nine when we walked in the room. And there were about thirty chairs set up in the in the room and there was a middle aisle like this and we went in and sat down and I just sat down and I was just going to mind my own business and um, the meeting ended, you know, shortly after we got there and every single person in that room came to, right to me and um, I didn't understand it at the time but I knew now it was practically like I had like neon lights blinking around me, you know, like this, uh, this uh, neon newcomer back there the orange newcomer and... Um, <laughs> And all these people had, they some one person had a cup of coffee, somebody had a piece of cake and some phone numbers in literature, and they're all handing me these things, and they just started going in a circle, and I, ran, I started throwing up on the floor. And, um, and I, I ran outside to the parking lot because I, I don't like throwing up in front of people I know, and um, I don't like throwing up more in front of people that I don't know, and um. So I ran outside to the parking lot, and all 30 people, like this herd of people, just came outside to the parking lot, and I found out they hadn't had a newcomer out there in quite a long time, and um, they, they all wanted a piece of the action here, you know, so, you know, they, they were laughing at me that night, and they were happy, and, and at that time, and I, I was in the parking lot, and these people were gathered around me, and it seemed like they were holding hands, and singing songs, and laughing, and dancing, and and uh, and I was in the middle of this circle throwing up, and... and uh, oh, good. And um, one man looked up at the sky, and he said, We alcoholics are such lucky people. We're chosen by God. I mean, I think that's kind of a stupid thing to say to somebody who's throwing up on your first night. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel so happy, so fortunate. I am chosen by God. Barf. And... Um, so that, that was my beginning, but um, there were some ladies there that night who asked me to, um, they said they would drive me home, and I was too afraid to do that. I didn't know what was going to happen, and uh, I guess my husband slipped them our address and phone number because the next day I was just sitting on the couch in my living room staring at the wall not knowing what happened or what was going to happen, and um, they knocked on my door, and they came and sat in my living room and talked to me. And they shared with me. And, um, you know, I'll back up a little bit here. I didn't know anything when I got here. Absolutely nothing at all. And after I got sober, you know, I realized that I spent most of my life drinking alcohol um, in in different quantities. and, um, And, I mean, from the time that I was in high school, as a very young teenager, I drank and it, it was I never picked up a drink and said i 'm going to take this drink because I have a speech to give in <laughs> class today, and this will make it easier." But I did that. It was just like an instinctive thing that I did. I used alcohol my whole life, and so I was used to being the way that I was and when I got here and I had to give up alcohol, I mean like we all are, I was in shock for a while, just um, at at how raw I felt and my emotions and And I I no longer had alcohol to buffer these feelings. And I had my whole life, but but as I said, it was just kind of a thing that I did, so I didn't really realize it. I grew up in a family that drank. I have five brothers and a mother and a father and a sister, there was a built-in beer keg in the refrigerator when I was growing up, and, and when I was a young teenager, I saved up empty jars during the week, and, and, um, and when nobody was looking and they'd put the new keg in on Saturday morning, I'd sneak down there and fill the jars with beer and put them in my closet and, and keep them there until the keg got emptied. I'd go to the keg when, when nobody was there and drink what I could, and then I had my stash in my closet. And I just did that. That's just what I did my whole life, and... Um, so so I really couldn't live without alcohol, like, like we can't, you know, we find when we get sober, but I certainly didn't know it. And, um, I mean, I, I drank to, to to do everything in my life. I drank when I'd have to call a babysitter to come. I'd have to have three drinks, to, you know, and I looked back and saw that. I, I tried to, for, for a while, I mean, I tried to, to live the role of being a wife and a mother, and that's all I was told that I was going to do. Um, nobody suggested anything else to me in my life, and so that's what I was doing and um, and trying to do my best. But, you know, in that house I where I lived, I would be peeking out the drapes all the time at the ladies outside. What are they doing out there, and why are they dressed like that? And, and then I'd go have a little drink, and, and then I'd try to have... To, to do things to, in order to fit in and have like baby showers and things like that that people do that are living in that kind of situation. And, and I remember one time there were women sitting in my living room and I went into the kitchen, you know, and I just grabbed a big bottle of wine that I had in there and I was just trying to get a big drink, you know, behind the refrigerator door be, so I could go back out and, and talk to those people. And I tried to to go play tennis and with you know when I had my kids and try to go join these women and do things but I I had vodka and Kool-Aid in a thermos when I went down there and then they smelled somebody smelled it so I didn't do that anymore but you know it um, it, it is um, you know kind of shock shocking I felt shocked when I came in here and I was without alcohol and this I didn't like the feeling that I had that I was so scared because I didn't think that I was scared not knowing that alcohol had gotten me through my life up to that time. Um, Having five brothers, I got kind of tough, and so I would beat people up and do things like that. So I didn't know I was scared because I would do things like that. In Clancy's backyard one time, we have a, a yard every Saturday, and it's when I was newer and I couldn't control myself quite as well as I can now and um i don't know things had piled up and it was hard taking care of the kids and this and that and and we always played volleyball and then it and we always the two teams would fight and argue and and if uh if your hand touched the net you know that was bad and the other team would go you know they'd try to take the ball away from you and then we'd say the ball touched the net and they were all dancing around saying the ball touched the net the ball touched the net and i was not in a good mood that day and this guy was right in front of me and i just like just just wound up and slugged him so hard and then i jumped on top of him but before anybody knew what happened i mean they just saw us so they thought he was beating me up but i was beating him up and um and uh but you know that's the good of a place like that i guess because i can't go to work and do things like that you know Robin, for heaven's sakes, well, Robin's out with the baby, but Robin's like the boss in the office where I work now. I don't think she'd like it if I did that to her. Um, but, uh, you know, so here, so I got to AA, you know, having relied on alcohol my whole life, you know, and um, and uh, and just the way I lived my life was, was um, you know, the... Um, sometimes I wasn't drunk when I did things you know but it was always the feelings that I had inside because I'm an alcoholic caused me to do the things that I did and caused things to happen in my life like getting pregnant when I was 15 years old because a man dared me to sneak out of my house in the middle of the night I used to ride horses at a stable across the street from my house and I loved the horses and I'd go up be up there hanging out and this guy who was like a bum and a transient and Nobody Now, I mean, I look, I look back on this and laugh, and it makes me very grateful that I found what I did or I would have just been living that kind of life. But he's, he was a bum, and he, and he lived in a little shack up there that was like as big as this area right here. And But I couldn't say no to him. What if he didn't like me? See, it was just important to me that everybody liked me. And, and so he dared me to sneak out of my house in the middle of the night. Well, I had to show him I could do that for sure. And, um, you know, I didn't date. I didn't have a boyfriend. And, and I. Um, so when I got pregnant, the first time I had sex in my life, it was a very curious situation to everybody concerned, especially the nuns at the school I went to. But, um, you know, I mean, I did. I snuck out of my house. It's like, well, I, you know, here I am. And then uh, next thing I know, I'm pregnant. And, um, and. uh you know that's just because of how I was inside I would do anything that anybody wanted me to do and um, I don't act right sometimes because of um, because of this disease but here I learn how to act right and a lot of the things that I learned in the in the group that I got sober in in California just practical things that we learn in order to make our life simpler and in order to fit in and do what other people are doing and um, you know, I was t- talking to somebody I sponsored the other day and say she bounced a check or something, and then I was just thinking back to how I always bounce checks. I didn't know how not to bounce checks. Um, I mean, I know how to add and subtract, but I didn't know how to not bounce checks. I just did it. I used to run out of gas all the time. That's not a very difficult thing to put gas in your car, but I just couldn't seem to do it. So I'd run out of gas on the freeway, and then it was real exciting, and then I'd go tell people, and it turned into this big thing, and, and, um, and I would get speeding tickets. And I just didn't understand why I got all these speeding tickets all the time. And um, just a lot of things like that. So it's like, okay, slow down, you know, um, balance your checkbook, and... Uh, And, uh, you know, just that, and be on time. We learn how to be on time when a lot of us used to ride to meetings with Clancy sometimes. And I remember one time, if he said be there at seven o'clock, that's what time you were supposed to be there because his car backed out of the driveway and drove away. And and we were in the car, and there was somebody who was just driving up the street. And it's like, she's like, wait, like, bye, seven o'clock, see ya. And, um, but, and, that that stuff is important that's that's what that's the kind of stuff that helps me to to have a good life today and um but uh let's see is my time up are you okay now Liz are you all right okay um so uh let's see what else um I let's see where am I those ladies came to my house that night, you know, and they talked to me, and it was like I inside. I was just sitting there. I could not believe that anybody was talking to me the way they were and telling me the things that they were telling me. That's what we do here. That's why it works. Um, we just find somebody, and there's lots of people that understand what's going on. I haven't had one thing go on in my life or inside my head that somebody has not understood or been through. As soon as if I can get to the point where I realize that's true and that I don't continue inside to say, well, I'm different. They really don't understand exactly how I feel. They might. It's close. But, you know, when I one day said they do understand and I am not different, then I, I was able to get better. I don't have any unique thoughts or feelings here. And that's, the, that's what we do for each other. We, we support each other here. And uh, we get together at these meetings and listen to speakers and talk about the steps and do things like that. But the fellowship has always been as important to me, too. The things we do, the activities we do as a group, it's always been very, very important to me. Um, When I was new, I don't know, maybe three or four years sober, I had never been anywhere in my life outside of California except for Tijuana because that's easy to get to. But um, I'd never been anywhere anywhere when I got sober, you know, I just for for years, I just had this thought, um, you know i'm I, I don't know how to do anything. um I'll never go anywhere. I barely made it through high school because i I ch- I preferred to goof around and get attention by walking across the top of the desks and things like that. And anything that would make people laugh at me and notice me, I would do. So I barely made it through high school. And then after that, I just went to work in a dental office because there was nothing else to do. And, um, and so, you know, that's pretty much the way, you know, when I got here, I hadn't been to college and just got married and had these kids and And so, you know, after I, after I was sober a little while, I just, you know, that feeling inside, like, I'll never be able to do anything, I'll never be able to earn money, I'll never go anywhere, and um, that lasted for several years, and, um, but what I was thinking about is, I don't know, I was three or four years sober, and Keith and Sally came up to me and they said that they were going to go to Hawaii and they had this big house that they could use for free and if I could just scrape together the airline fare that we would all go to Hawaii and that and that's what we did and Keith and Sally and myself and their daughter and and a couple other people um, got on an airplane and and we went to Hawaii and um, they were like tricking me on the airplane and made me go into first class and get them, so I'd never been on an airplane, and, and then they, I'd be coming back, and they'd be laughing, ah, we tricked her, and, um, but we, we had a really good time, and we got to this huge house, it was just this huge, big house, and this other woman and I had like a guest house, which is, the guest house was bigger than any house I've ever lived in, and, and we, uh, we, it was just beautiful, but it wasn't by the beach. We did have a car we could use. We went to the market and bought, like, $200 worth of groceries, and we were going to, like, stay in this house. But So there there were, like, six or seven of us, and, like, before the first day was over, we were all sitting at the table just staring at each other. It's like, wow, well, what do we do now? <laughs> so Keith got on the phone and called somebody else on, on another island, and um, that's another thing, too. When we landed, then they said... Grab your luggage, and we have to get on another airplane. Well, having not paid attention in school, I, didn't, I had no clue why we were getting on another airplane. I thought we were in Hawaii, and that was that. And um, I just didn't get it. And, um, and I wouldn't ask, because I might look stupid, right? But uh, So we, we packed up all these groceries that we had just bought that day, and Keith shoved a bunch of stuff in his golf bag, and we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies of AA. And, and we... Um, we went to this other island to, the, to a one-bedroom condo with all of our food and all these people, and we were so happy there. It was so much better. And um, how many years later was it you found, um, like, a six-pack of Coke or something in your golf bag? He wondered why it was so heavy all these years, but he never looked in there. And, um but that was just great, and I didn't. I don't know how to do that kind of thing. I don't know how to be with people. I'd rather just get away from you as soon as I can and go in my house and shut the door. You know, um, I don't really want to be with you that long because because uh, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to act. But but that's what I learned to do here. Things like that, and um, and sobriety has just it has just been incredible. Um, it first of all just Back up quickly. I, when I first got sober, I stayed sober four months. Um, that was January of '71. My sobriety is May of '71. Um, I didn't get a sponsor during that time, and I and I think it was because all my life I did things that people. Um, whatever you wanted me to do, and then i 'd be really mad and When I was younger, I used to walk down the street with a can opener and scratch paint off of cars as i 'd walked along it 's just like just like all these I hate these people I hate everybody and and then I would just do whatever you wanted and then i 'd hate you more and and um, and so during that time, I stayed sober and I wanted to be sober, but i didn 't get a sponsor because um, i, I, I I thought somebody would say yes, but they really wouldn't want to sponsor me, so it would just be easier if I don't ask. And, and I went to AA, and I loved it. And I think a lady had left her daughter with me for the evening, and then she didn't come back for three days. And, and then, I, of course, I said, oh, it's okay. I don't mind. Just leave her. You know, she can live here till she's 18 years old or whatever. It's okay. And then inside, it's like, oh, I hate you. And um, so, you know, I, I, one day I was getting ready to go to a meeting and I just had some wine in the refrigerator that I happened to have in there to cook with, which I don't have anymore. I don't have any alcohol in my house at all. And I feel more now um, at 25 years of sobriety that I could take a drink than I did when I was a year sober. I said, oh, I found it. I'll never take a drink again. And that's not true. And I don't say that. And I've seen plenty of people drink again. But um, I had that wine in my refrigerator, and I went in, and I drank a little wine. And my husband was late with the car, and I didn't think he should treat me like that. I'm an alcoholic. And, and um, he came home, and I got in the car and bought a half-gallon of spiñata, went out and drove around, and, and tried to get arrested because... Um, because I hadn't been arrested and I came in here thinking I was really bad and then I heard all of your stories and a lot of you were worse and now I'm nothing again. I'm just nothing. And um, so I think, you know, I could get arrested. So I drove down the Ventura freeway drinking this big um, half gallon of spiñata wine and... Nobody saw me. And then I threw the bottle out the window. I just threw it out, and then I'm looking in my mirror. Nobody saw me. I just drove home, and there I was again, face down on my blue shag carpeting and my red wine throw up one more time. That's like, that's it. That's my jail, I guess, you know, laying face down like that. So, uh, so that's, you know, my sobriety is in May of 1971. And uh, when, I, when I got pride uh, uh, from the carpeting that morning you know i didn't have the hope that i had the first time and and um i was very scared but that was good and i f- found the pacific group i lived kind of far away from there but some people that were in my group um took me over there and uh and i went there for until i moved to minnesota and um it's a group that believes in a lot of action and activity and and no nonsense and um i tried i tried um to get attention in any way that I could and a lot of it was like by acting bad and crazy and silly and and I didn't get a lot of attention for that so I had to stop acting like that I had to start acting good and that's something that's talked about there you know how we we act our way into right thinking and and I and nobody cared when I acted I remember somebody one time said you just sit around in coffee shops at night and see who can be the craziest and I You know, I realized that's what we did. And, um, but it, it was a great group for me. And I, and, um, and, and it was no nonsense. And it was, uh, you know, you just come every night. That's it. But I, and I say, but I have three kids at home. And, well, you drank every day. And I thought, oh, that's stupid. That's a stupid thing to say. But I'd go. And, um, I wanted them to like me too. So it didn't matter why I went, but I went. And, um, And I just, you know, I needed, I mean, after a while, I mean, I just, I looked forward to it, and I loved going, and it's just been this incredible journey, and life goes on um, for all of us. And I think in the beginning, I thought I'm sober, and I'm trying so hard that everything will be good, and nothing bad will ever happen, and that's not the way it is for any of us. And I just got, from the very beginning, I got very, very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um And uh, and and I love it, and I feel good, and I've like continued to feel better and better over the years. Um, I got pushed into sponsoring people, Um, and I didn't want to in the beginning. I didn't want to talk to newcomers because I think just because we come in here in here and we don't take a drink again, I didn't have self worth just immediately come into my life, or I didn't feel confidence in myself, and. And, um, and I just thought, I don't know what to say to a newcomer. And um, I had no idea. Plus, um, I mean, if, if, if the newcomer was like off the street, there might be a chance that I would talk to that person. But if a woman was dressed, looked nice, and I thought she was pretty, there was no way I could go talk to her. I just thought she, I, I just felt like, you know, we do like everybody looks down on us. And so, so I thought she wouldn't want to talk to me. And, and uh, one time I had a sponsor that just pushed me across the room and I just like crashed into this newcomer because I was saying, she doesn't want to talk to me, blah, 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 and all that. And so I, uh, so I got involved in working, in working with other people. Now I've also come to realize that that's not for them at all because, because uh, I don't have any answers that anybody else doesn't have, and we have one big book, and we have one set of steps, and that's it. I've come to realize that it's for me, and um, and I guess that, you know, God gives me this in my life to help me to be okay, because I need to have these people in my life. It serves a lot of purposes, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's the only thing that I've ever done that's made me feel good about myself. I mean, I can go out and do other things, or go on a vacation, or buy a car, or get a new job or something, and it feels good for a little while, but then it wears off. And the, and the only thing that's really lasted or made me feel good on a continuing basis is being a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, working with others in any way that I can. And sometimes it gets tedious, and that's, you know, it just does. But, um, but, but I um, continue to do it, and, uh, and I really love doing it. Um, and uh, the other thing it does for me is... Um, I mean, I just talk to women all day long. I've always um, sponsored a lot of women, and I talk to them all day long, and their problems are no different than my problems. So when I have something come up, it's just like an automatic thing. It's like, what would you tell somebody else? And I have to do it. Um, It's also helped me quite a bit with, you know, we hear a lot about this being a disease of perception, and it's so apparent to me that that's the absolute truth because of sponsoring people because, and especially when you're in a group and you sponsor a lot of people, well, you already know the other side to the story before that person ever calls you. And and it's completely different than the way you heard it from this other person. And so that's good for me because I still get crazy and insecure and fearful. Um, I've recently started out now and um, I decided to, to, to try acting and so I... Um, well, first of all, I went on this audition for a, a little movie, an independent film, and, I, and um, I, they told me this part they wanted me to read for, and so and I went there ahead of time, and I got to practice it, and then I did it, and they, I don't think they really liked that very well, but then she said, here, read this, and just take a minute to look it over, and I looked it over, and it was a drunk lady. So, um, so I just said, okay, I'm ready, and... Um, and then I did it, and she was just sitting there, and I finished, and she said, good. And um, so, so I got to do this little part in this movie, but um, the, the best thing was that I went to, the, to a meeting, um, and they handed out the script, and I read, and it was just a small part of it. I read um, what it was about, and, um, and I was this police person's mother, and I was... Um, when she, when this when my daughter came to my house, she was looking in the window for me, and I was laying on the floor in my house, face down in vomit. In the movie, and that's how it was, and, and I I got kind of choked up when I read it, and and I thought about it later, like why did it affect me like that? Um, and I think I thought I could still be like that today. I could just still be laying on the floor in my own vomit today, um, if I hadn't found Alcoholics Anonymous and. And, and continue to do the things that I've always done since I got here. But um, then after that, I went on this audition for a part in a play. And, um, you know, I, I make myself do these things now because I, it's like I cannot not do them. I worked in this locked mental hospital when I was very newly sober. And, uh, and there were some old people in there, and they were just going to die. Their life was basically over and i and i remember looking at this lady one time and thinking um, i wonder if she has any regrets and things that she didn't do in her life because she was afraid and i don't ever want that to happen to me i don't want to get you know when what do, you know it, the people that i who, what was i afraid of i wouldn't even remember then so i just i just kind of make myself go do these things but You know, I was driving there that night, and for this audition, I thought, what are you doing? Why are you going to the?" You know how we always have that thing inside of our head that tells us um, those bad things? And um, so I went on this audition, and then they called me to come back the next day, and I went back the next day and read again, and then... They said that if I got the part, they would be calling on Friday, so Friday came and went, and nobody called and I was trying to act like I was okay and I, and it was it was all right, and I was really sad inside, and you know it 's like it 's like the biggest deal in the world at the time. so the next morning, though, this guy called, and he was the stage manager, and he said that they wanted to give me a part in this play and I was so excited, and I was just jumping up and down for two minutes, and then the head started it 's like well, they called a day late, so they probably called every other actress in the Twin Cities. Nobody wants to do this part, you know. You're the only one that'll do it. And it's just, this stuff just drives me crazy, but, um, you know, I just try to go on in spite of it now and just go, just shut up, just go do it, but... It's, uh, you know, it was a new thing for me, and I went to the rehearsals, and, and, I, and I just, you know, that's when I felt sometimes like I'd walk into this one area, and um, they were all chatting and laughing and having a good time, and then the door would open, and I would walk in, and they would just all get really quiet, and, but, you know, because of sponsoring people, it's like, and what I tell people to do, and it's like, I could shrink from that, and just go sit by myself, and drive home, and cry, and think about it more and more, or, you know, what? a lot of times people will say to me, you know, you know that Liz B, she, she just didn't even say hello to me. And then I'll say, well, did you say hello to her? And um, so that stuff goes on in my head. And it's like, why should I think that the director needs to say hello to me first because she's the director and I'm just like this poor little person. So so then I started, you know, saying hello, hi, how are you? and bringing cookies and things. Maybe they'll like me if I bring cookies. No, not really. But, uh, you know, then I felt better because I did that. And, uh, and then they talked to me. So um, it's, it's an ongoing experience for me here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't matter. It's like day-by-day day sobriety, and it's just day-by-day day going on with life. And... Um, uh, I'm on my third my current husband Ed is my third husband here in AA and um, and uh, we got married in the midnight mission where Clancy runs the midnight mission and um, we just went down there one day and um, and we got married down there and it was really it was pretty neat and um, we had a Japanese judge come in actually Clancy married us there's a picture of him with the big book and his Viking crown on his head and that's our that's our wedding picture actually and um but uh you know I've had my ups and downs with that with relationships like we all do I think it was um I think it was when I was newly sober not newly I'm talking like four years or something like that with uh after my first divorce and and um and this relationship thing, and feeling rejected, and I'm going to, you know, it's like, it's like the, a terrible feeling, I mean, now it looks different to me, you know, I understand it differently than I did at the time, and, um, but I remember going through something, and just praying, I would cry, I would cry at home, I'd go to work, I'd cry, I'd stay up all night, I'd sit on the front porch, I'd sit on the roof of my house, and I mean, I was just like, really sad, and and um And I would get on my knees and I would pray, and i would I didn't understand what God was all about, and I thought, I'm just praying to this bedspread, and I'd get up and and this pain, this emotional pain just went on and on and on, and then I thought that there's God's not there for me; I don't know what God is because it just it it hurts so much every day and but then you know, nothing changed. Really, I just kept. I was taught here to you just go on no matter what. You go to these meetings. I would have momentary relief when I went to the meetings, you know, and um, and then I'd go back home and feel bad again. And but um, uh, you know, one day I just I just realized, of course, there's a God. If there wasn't a God, I would be drunk because I can't I can't make it through that kind of thing by myself. And that's. And that was really the first time that I really had this feeling of, of God in my life. And, um, and, you know, now it's pretty simple for me, really. I think, uh, you know, I've just I get up in the morning, I get on my knees, I turn my life and my will over to God and just keep it very, very simple and very brief. And I go on about my business and I just try not to question anything around me and look for signs. I mean, I did that for years. You know, I wanted to do comedy really bad and and um and I was doing it for a while and and then I, but I wanted like a big break, you know, when am I going to get my big break? So I did like 3AA things in a row where I went out talking and like um and all and in three places I met somebody who was like really connected in comedy and I'm like yeah that's it God's giving me a sign well nothing panned out from that and then I realized that's just my will again you know so I don't do that I just keep, try to keep it as simple as I can and um, and I, um, I I'm just I'm I, uh, I'm thrilled to be here um, uh, I can remember back when I was new and I started doing this and I went to meetings and hid behind pillars and looked in my purse when it was time to get called on because I hated coming up here. And, and I never thought I would be speaking in AA meetings. And, but then you know how we are. It's like I'd hide and I'd come in late and then I wouldn't want to get called on, but then I'd say, nobody ever calls on me. And um, so I'm really... Um, I'm, I'm really happy to be here this weekend with all of you, and, um, and uh, thank you for inviting me here. Thanks.